Andrew just asked me, well, what's, what's your talk on? At which I was rendered completely speechless and didn't know what to say. Now, I hope that at the end of this sermon, you will be able to say what my talk's about. Um, and to aid you, I have got three points in a little acronym that I'm going to tell you now and repeat throughout so that you get it in your head and try and remember it. And that is SIP, SIP. Now, I'm sure that lots of you here are familiar with that verse, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we want that for our friends and family, don't we? We want our friends and family to taste and see that the Lord is good, to encourage them to come to the Lord. So this is the acronym, right? A little couple of gifts to help you remember it. The aim being aiding memory recall. So S. In this passage, we've got Paul and he is come to Jerusalem. I'm just going to go a little bit back before he comes, just to set the scene in context. But the S is for suffering, and I think we have to expect suffering in life, in our Christian journey. So just before I do that, a couple of quotations, this one from Nelson Mandela. He says, To go to prison because of your convictions and be prepared to suffer for what you believe in is something worthwhile. It's an achievement for a man to do his duty on earth, irrespective of the consequences. And that shows something of Nelson Mandela's life, doesn't it? That he was in prison, suffered for his beliefs and convictions, and the life of Paul, who also was imprisoned and suffered for his convictions. And it's inspiring, that kind of, I'm willing to die for what I believe in, I'm willing to suffer for what I believe in, is inspiring. Another one, John Piper I'm a fan of John Piper, a great theologian. He says, suffering is an essential part of the Christian life. You will suffer. You must suffer. My hope is that during our times together, we'll be prepared to suffer for the glory of Christ. So Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. And these are the verses just before our reading, but I think we need to have the context. So I'll just read this to you. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Now, when Paul became a Christian with that Damascus transformation where he met Jesus he was longing to speak to the Jews about Jesus and that was a massive passion and burden on his heart you can read about it at the beginning of Romans 9 it says I long to preach the gospel to the, to the Jewish people but God had sent Paul to the Gentiles to the people who weren't Jewish and then, finally, this time comes where he's sent to Jerusalem. And he'd been waiting for that. They reckon that by this point, he'd been a Christian for about 20 years. He'd been waiting for this moment where he could go and talk to the Jewish people 
about Jesus. So he'd been perhaps in some senses building up to this because he felt, and I'm sure he was, he was, wasn't he, a great person to speak to the Jews. He had been a Jew. He'd persecuted the Christians. And this was his moment. Now, in the lead up to this moment, he'd had some warnings that he would suffer. And in fact, some of his disciples, some of his friends, his companions had said to him, don't go, don't go because you're going to suffer and you might die and we don't want you to die. It's not your time yet. You've still got to proclaim, don't go. But what Paul said, and this is, again, slightly earlier, he says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So he basically says there, it's okay. If I suffer, it's okay because this is what God's called me to. This is part of my life. And so I must go. I'm compelled. I'm not going to run away just because there's suffering on the way. Now, in these two chapters, in this bit around Acts, there's lots of parallels between Paul's life and Jesus' life, which are very interesting. So I'm just going to whiz through those so that you see that there's a strong parallel here between Paul and Jesus. So like Jesus, Paul traveled to Jerusalem with a group of disciples. Like Jesus, Paul had opposition from hostile Jews who plotted against his life. We've seen here they were trying to kill him. Like Jesus, Paul made or received three successive predictions of his coming sufferings in Jerusalem, including being handed over to the Gentiles. Like Jesus, Paul had followers who tried to discourage him from going to Jerusalem and the fate that awaited him there. So people tried to say to Jesus, don't go. And people tried to say to Paul, don't go. Like Jesus, Paul declared his readiness to lay down his life. I'm willing to die, he said. Like Jesus, Paul was determined to complete his ministry and not be deflected from it. Had his eyes set on the path in front of him. Like Jesus, he'd expressed his abandonment to the will of God. He'd come to Jerusalem to give something, to proclaim. He was unjustly arrested on the basis of a false accusation. So they, they thought he was this Egyptian rebel, rebel who'd been rioting everyone. He was in the city about three years previously. And they thought that was him. So that was partly why some of them were trying to kill him. So it was a false accusation based on a false um, belief. Like Jesus, he was alone arrested. He wasn't not his companions. It was just Paul on his own. He heard the mob crying out, away with him. And they didn't just mean get him out of the city. They meant rid the earth of him, kill him, get rid of him by making sure that he dies. And like Jesus, the Roman officer handling Paul's case didn't know his identity. And like Jesus, Paul was associated with terrorists by a Roman official. So there's lots of links here between Paul's life and Jesus' life. Now, I don't think that anybody in this room has put a Christian in prison or killed a Christian or persecuted Christians. That's not where we're at at society at the moment, is it? But many of you have. And all of us will suffer at some point in some ways. Now, I think, you know, that that some of us hopefully still 
and perhaps have had a real zealous time where we say, I'll do anything for God. I'm willing to suffer for God. I would lay down my life for Jesus. And we sort of think, yeah, if I'm persecuted in a, very, in a way that's very obviously for the sake of the gospel, then I'll be fine. I'll stand firm. I won't betray Jesus. But what about when it comes to the suffering that we perhaps experience on a daily basis in our lives? Why are we separating that and saying, well, that's not really suffering for the sake of the gospel? Isn't all our life for the sake of the gospel? Isn't everything that we do and our attitude and everything for the sake of the gospel in some way or other? Aren't people watching our lives and seeing how we react? And so although we now in this society, we won't be beaten at the moment. We won't be put in prison. We won't be, people aren't going to try and kill us for our Christian beliefs. There are people around the world who experience that level of persecution and we must pray for them and remember them and encourage them. I know there's a group of people here who pray very faithfully for the persecuted church and let's be mindful and prayerful for them. But we do experience suffering of other kinds and I don't know your suffering and you, you won't know mine and, uh, but, but we try to walk with each other, don't we? And it might be a difficult relationship, might be an unresolved situation. It might be something that you want to run away from and you just don't want to take any notice of it in your life. It might be physical pain, an illness, backache. It might be something that's just heavy on your heart. It might be a lack of job or a job that's too stressful, something that Sarah Couchman prayed for last week that struck me, which I'll explain in a moment. And the question isn't, well, is it for the sake of Jesus? The question is, What is our attitude to suffering? Because actually the Bible does teach us, and here Paul's example and Jesus' example is, that suffering does come. Life isn't easy. It's not a bed of roses. It's not all lovely and joyful. There's hard times. And the question here and the inspiration of Paul's life is, what's our attitude to it? Are we able to say, it's okay, and somehow accept it and even embrace it and say god will work for good through this when i was preparing for this two stories came to mind and i'm sure you're very familiar with one of them and it's the people who have suffered and yet managed to somehow despite the toughness of it and we with one of them we saw the toughness of it have the attitude of saying we're walking this path we trust god and we believe that he will work through it and we will proclaim the ways that God is working through it. So one is James and Virag, who were a couple here who had a young child with brain tumors and who very sadly died at a very young age. But their attitude towards it of trusting God and walking despite the pain and then proclaiming it partly through the writing of a book was inspirational to all of us. And then another example that came to mind is that I've got a cousin who again had a, a very ill child, age three, um, diagnosed with a very rare form of leukemia that um, was not very treatable and looked like this child would also die. But within a few days of the diagnosis, they sent an email out saying, we trust that this is a path that God's allowing us to walk on. And we believe that God will work through it and teach us and maybe even help us to talk to other people on similar paths who we will come across when we're in the hospital waiting rooms through all these hundreds of appointments and injections and operations. So one is we must expect and be prepared to suffer. And we must have an attitude 
that glorifies God through that, whatever the situation. Being honest about it, not pretending that it's not there, but embracing it and somehow trusting that God will work through it. So that is the S. The S is for suffering. The I is for identify. So Paul identifies with the people that he's speaking to. So just a quote here before we look at Paul. This uh, man who's an entrepreneur, writer, um, successful in the world's eyes, person of networking, says, seizing new ground, making connections between people or ideas, working without a map, these are works of art. And if you do them, you're an artist, regardless of whether you wear a smock, use a computer, or work with others all day long. It's about connecting with people, finding something in common with whoever you're talking to. So Paul, when he's led to the barracks, it says this. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion, led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Right, so the scene here is he's at the top of these steps. There's this massive mob, a riot of people trying to kill him. He's already been hit and whipped, so he's suffered already physically, and it's, it's chaos. Crowds and crowds. And he turns to the Roman official with him and says in Greek, please may I just speak so it's surprising and actually there's a theologian who says this can't be true because he can't have said it in such a calm because it comes across as being calm way with a sort of politeness so he speaks in in Greek in um, the language and he seems to be polite and calm despite this angry mob trying to kill him so that's, that's the first thing that's a bit surprising and sets as a very high example of staying calm and still being courteous and gentle and polite even when things are hard um and then it says so when he had given him permission paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people and then there was a great silence and he spoke to them in the hebrew language so at this point he then swaps language to speak to the crowd the jews in front of him he just motions with the hand so he has got some kind of authority you know this is a man who they were just about to kill And probably the Roman official let him do that because he thought, well, let's get this mob, let's get this crowd under control a bit. And he speaks and they listen. And he starts off by identifying with them and saying, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in a city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you all are today. So they will have heard of Gamaliel. He was one of the big Pharisees. We come across him actually in Acts 5. He speaks and says, oh, don't kill the disciples, flog them, but um, let them go. But he was a a very high up Pharisee. So he says, I learned at the feet of one of the best Pharisees you can get. He He says, I'm Jew, just like you. And we know other places in the New Testament, Paul says, you know, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was one of the best. I was the most zealous. And then he compliments them by saying, I was zealous like you are today. So for a Jew at that time to be called zealous for God would have been a big compliment. Now, we'll we'll come in a minute to how we might talk, um, how we might identify with the people around us. Probably not by saying, 
you're zealous for God. That's probably not going to work in current society. Um, But that's a way that Paul identified with his listeners there. And then it's almost like he's boasting or at least saying, you know, this is how zealous I was. I used to persecute this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons men and women. Also, the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the, of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren and I went. Um, so he's basically saying, I really punished people. I put them in prison. I killed them. I, was killed, I put in prison men and women. I persecuted Christians. Again, in order to identify with them, here they were thinking that they were getting rid of this Egyptian, some of them thinking that they were getting rid of this Egyptian rebel, zealous for God. And also he was being accused as well of bringing in a Gentile into the inner courts. And again, that was another reason that some of them were angry with him and trying to kill him. So he's saying, I was zealous for God like you are. I was so zealous that I killed people. So this identifying with people around us. Um, And what about us? What about us? How do we identify with people around us? Now, Paul had been a Christian, they think, for about 20 years at this point. And he then goes on to tell the story, um, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, And that identification with people, what are they thinking? And, And might you echo that? So I I have the opportunity to do, I'm a teacher of a secondary school and I have the opportunity to do assemblies. So I almost always do my assemblies on themes that I had questions about when I was a teenager, which is a bit more than 20 years ago. But So I did one on why does a God of love allow suffering and said, you know, actually, when I was a teenager, this question was a problem for me. Thinking perhaps it's also a problem for some of them. Teenagers still think these big questions. And on Friday, the one was, is God a killjoy? Because that's when I was 15, I decided I believed in God but didn't want to know him because I thought he'd ruin my life and tell me to walk down a strict route. So that was, that's one of the ways that I try to identify with people I'm talking to, say, I had these questions. And actually, you might still be able to identify with people in that way now. So if you've got a tough time in your life, maybe you've got a physical ailment that is hard, and your friends around you, Christians and non-Christians, see that, you might say, do you know, I've been really wondering why God is allowing this in my life at the moment. And that might be your way in to think, maybe that's what they're thinking. Or when he says, I was zealous just like you are, so I don't think you will say to your friends, I can see that you're really zealous for God. But you might say to your friends, you know, self-help books are a very big thing in our society. They're always some on the non-fiction bestseller list. And you might say to your friend, oh, I've noticed that you give your time very freely to charity or to a voluntary cause. Or you might say, oh, I've noticed that you are always patient with your children. Or I've noticed that you just manage to stay calm in stressful situations. So you might notice something good and make that a starting point. right? Like Paul, noticing something that he can then build on um, about their lives. So identifying with people. So can you remember what the S was for? suffering an eye for identify with your people and then the last one is to proclaim so we have to tell people so i couldn't find a good gift but it's best than none um to proclaim so paul's story i'm not actually going to talk loads about paul's story you're familiar with it i'm half assuming really paul's story which billions of people all over the planet will have known for thousands of years of his journey to damascus 
And actually, it's told four times in the Bible. So it's told here, and he is telling it in order to persuade the Jewish people. It's also told in Acts 26, at which point he's saying it to persuade the Gentiles, the non-Jews. He says it in Philippians 3, in order to increase theological understanding of who God is and how he works in the world. And it's also said in 1 Timothy 1, telling the story to encourage fellow Christians. So this story is told four times. The same story, but told to different people in different contexts and for different reasons. And we are called to proclaim God's goodness, God's love, God's heart for his people, for our friends and relatives. And so how do we do that? How do we proclaim God? Now, Paul's story was very dramatic. Most of us won't have dramatic stories quite like that. But we will have times where God's worked in our life. I feel that my life is absolutely full of what I call ordinary miracles. I just think day by day, God provides for me and sustains me and helps me to keep going. I'll just give you one example yesterday. So I wouldn't say that this is suffering. I wouldn't label this as suffering, but um, some of you might identify with this. So my life at the moment is a bit frantic. Um, so I teach full time, got four children at four different schools, husbands away during the week. So every minute is pretty much counted for. And my Saturdays are normally frazzled, frantic, frenetic, flurry of jobs. Errands running around, loads of washing. I'm sure many of you know this story. And um, all of a sudden... Oh, yeah, I hadn't quite finished preparing this talk, but didn't know when I was going to do it. And then all of a sudden at 4.30, very unusually, I honestly can't remember a Saturday when this has ever happened in recent history, I found myself alone in my house, quiet, nobody around. Now, I hadn't orchestrated that to happen. I hadn't, I've put, you know, if I've, had, if I've had more headspace, I probably would have done, but um, didn't manage to organize it. But somehow... Everybody had disappeared. And thanks to various people in this community who who, um, ended up having some of the children. Um, But for me, that was a real provision from God because then I could finish preparing my talk for today. And I honestly don't know how I would have done it. The challenge to me was, did I wake up that morning trusting that God would somehow provide and not being stressed and not being flustered and not being frazzled and frenetic and all that? Um, and, And that story of God's grace and God's provision, and God's help, just as we need it. And actually, when we proclaim things to our friends, you know, even Paul telling this story, I think probably just took a few minutes, just took a few minutes for Kathleen to read it, didn't it? And actually, what we might say might just be one or two sentences, but we might just be dropping these liberal seeds of, oh God, help, I I, I trust, I believe, I felt that God helped me in that situation. And the good thing is, you don't have to have a list of all the different times that God's helped you ready so that you've got them ready for when someone might possibly ask you or an opportunity might open. Because there's a promise that says that the Holy Spirit will remind you, will remind you of what God's done, will remind you of Jesus' words at the time when you need it. So you just need to be soaking yourself in God's word, in his presence, living in step with the Spirit, and he will prompt you at just the right time. And there's some amazing stories that I'm sure lots of people in this room will have of times when God has prompted them in a remarkable way to proclaim Jesus, 
with maybe just a little story, a little sentence, might even just be one word. But let us be active in proclaiming. Now, just to finish, I did just want to say what happened at the end. So we don't quite carry on, but I'm just going to jump and tell you what happens. So the crowd is silent. This crowd who was trying to kill Paul is silent and listening to him until he says one word. And then they try to kill him again. Does anybody know what the word is? So he tells them, he finishes telling them the story. And then he explains to them that actually God had called him to the Gentiles. And as soon as he says Gentiles, they all start trying to kill him again. So they didn't respond. They didn't all become Christians. They didn't have a mass conversion of people just because Paul had told his story. And I just want to take three little things from this as well. One is, you are not responsible for how your listeners respond. Number two, you might get rejected and hated. Although we won't be imprisoned and beaten and tortured, you know, it is, there are some situations, and increasingly so, I think, where Christians in this country are persecuted in some way. And the last thing is that even if we are rejected and hated, even if our listeners don't respond and all become Christians, we are to be faithful anyway. Have the big picture. Trust that God is in it and that God will work through it. You know, although that crowd at that point rejected him because he'd said the word Gentiles, tried to kill him again, and actually from that point until the end of Acts, he's then imprisoned in the Roman authorities. But that story has been used for so many people over so many centuries all over the world. So we've just got to trust that God's got a bigger picture than what we can see at that time. So can you remember the three letters? Suffering. S, expect to suffer. Suffer's part of life. Let's embrace and accept it somehow with God's help and um, not resent it, not resent suffering in our lives, Uh, which is kind of what the world says. The world says, suffering's bad, get rid of it. Actually, that's not the message of the Bible. I identify with people that that, that we're with, try and identify with them, put yourself in their shoes somehow. And P, proclaim so that we can say to our friends and family, taste and see, have a sip, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me just pray. Father God, thank you for the example of Paul, that even though you you warned him that he would suffer, he was still willing to go forwards and walk in the path that you'd set before him. And I pray that we would walk in step with your spirit, alert and aware of you prompting us. I pray that we also would be willing and accepting that suffering is part of life and that our attitude would shine out for the sake of your glory, and that we'd encourage one another in our journeys, whether they're through hard times or, or easier times. And we pray that you'd help us to identify with our friends and family around us. And I pray that you would help us to be bold and confident, courageous, and to speak with conviction and clarity as we proclaim your love. In Jesus' name, amen.